Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, we complete our series on the history of socialism with Bill Federer, and Pastor Larry will answer a question about yoga. As you and your family prepare for Christmas, remember to check out all of the Bible-based and Christ-centered gifts that are available on our website, swrc.com. With over 1,000 items, you can do all your Christmas shopping and at the same time support Watchmen on the Wall. We have gifts from Israel, Christmas-themed movies, and a huge selection of books and DVDs. We also have gift subscriptions available for the Prophecy in the News magazine, and our brand new Prophecy Calendar is available. SWRC.com. Shop for friends and family and support the ministry and outreach of Watchmen on the Wall. SWRC.com. All this month, we are revisiting your favorite programs, topics, and guests from this past year. Today, we continue our look at the history of socialism with historian and author Bill Federer. Socialism, the real history from Plato to the present, how the deep state capitalizes on crises to consolidate control. Thank you so much, Bill, for being back with us for another show. In the previous show, we were you were talking, actually, very effectively about molding of the public mind. There are several other examples that you mentioned, so let's pick up where we left off. We see that the current administration is wanting to have a disinformation board <laughs> and wanting to control the information that's out there. This is dangerous, and... George Orwell wrote about this in his book, 1984. It's called Doublespeak, where everything the government says is actually the opposite of what is really happening. And so in the book, 1984, George Orwell has a character named Winston who's working for the Ministry of Truth, but all it does is lie. And Mm -hmm. so he sits at his desk and down a pneumatic tube, you know, when you go to the bank, put your deposit in that tube and it sucks it up. And so that was a new invention in 1948. So he's at his desk, and down the tube comes the history that needs to be edited. And he cuts out the old history and puts it in another pneumatic tube and sends it down into the basement incinerator where it's destroyed, and it's called down the memory hole. And so he says every record has been destroyed or falsified, every book rewritten, every picture has been repainted, every statue in the street building has been renamed, every date altered. History has stopped. Nothing exists except an endless present in which the party is always right. I know, of course, that the past is falsified. But it would never be possible for me to prove it. Even when I did the falsification myself, after the thing is done, no evidence remains. Mm. The only evidence is inside my own mind, and I don't know that any other human being shares my memories. Everything faded into mist. The past was erased. The erasure was forgotten. The lie became truth. And so this is 1984, him talking about the government having a disinformation governance board. Mm. Rand Paul was speaking before the committee when they were discussing disinformation. And so Rand Paul is drilling the Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas. And Rand Paul says, I think you've got no idea what disinformation is. Do you know who the greatest propagator of disinformation in the history of the world is? The U.S. government. (laughs) Rand Paul goes, are you familiar with McNamara, the Pentagon Papers? Are you familiar with George W. Bush and the weapons of mass destruction? Are you familiar with Iran-Contra? I don't want the government guardrails. 
I want you to have nothing to do with speech. Do you think the American people are so stupid they need you to tell them what truth is? <laughs> I don't trust the government to figure out what truth is. Government is largely disseminating disinformation. Wow. So that was Rand Paul and May 4th, 2022. But this idea of controlling information, human beings are social creatures. We like to fit in with groups, and we hate being kicked out of groups. Yes. In most of the world, this is called honor-shame culture. In Asia, it's really big, even in Islam that the Uma, the community, if they accept you and honor you, your worth goes up. If your daughter embarrasses you in front of the group, they'll even murder their own daughter because of the shame in front of the group. And so acceptance, rejection is a human phenomenon, and they want to manipulate that. Mm. And so an individual water molecule, but you put it with others, and it operates in a group and has powerful waves in the ocean. An individual fish, but you put it with other fish, and it operates in a group. They can turn on a dime. An individual bird in a cage, but you put it with other birds, they operate in a group and can fly in these pretty patterns. Well, humans, we're individuals, but you put us together with other humans, and we're always wanting to give and receive feedback as to whether we're being accepted or rejected. And so nobody wants to be rejected, and they want to manipulate that. So Saul Linsky says ridicule, this fear of rejection, Mm. is the most potent weapon. And then this was studied after the Korean War. They would do something called brainwashing that came from the Buddhist concept of cleansing the mind, this blanking out of this an emotional reset. And so they would take these captured soldiers and isolate them and put them through deprivation for months until they got to the breaking point of craving wanting to get back to normal, craving to wanting to have relationships. And they would pull them into a room with a bunch of guys who had already caved. And before they could be accepted in this group, they had to confess their whiteness. They had to confess that they were part of the evil Western capitalist system that was doing all these terrible things. And once they rejected America, then they got the buddy treatment. They were slapped on the back, and they were accepted into the group. And this manipulation, could you imagine of putting a whole country through a period of isolation and deprivation mm. and lockdown and so much that people craved wanting to get back to normal? Right. And then they say, okay, before you can get back to normal, you've got to give up this freedom. You've got to take this shot. You've got to wear this thing on your face. You've got to do this, that, and the other. And so it's a a manipulating Mm. of the human desire to want to fit in. And it's very powerful. So we have fear motivates people, but we also have this idea of wanting to fit in with the group. And this was implemented by Joseph Goebbels. Mm. He was the Nazi minister of propaganda. And so he would orchestrate these Coliseum events with 100,000 people, and they would begin to give the Hitler salute in the front. And it would work its way back like a wave at a football game. Mm. And everybody would see everybody else giving the Hitler salute, and they would feel pressured to give it. And then people would see you giving it, and they would feel pressured. And it was this manipulate how you get an entire nation to buy into a lie, this fear-mongering. And so the idea is that you manipulate this human desire to fit in with the group. To give you an example of how powerful this is, was the ash conformity experiment done in the 1960s on college campuses where they would pull eight students into a classroom and all of them were paid actors except one. One was a naive participant. And the teacher would put two cards on the front desk. One card simply had one line on it and the other three lines, one longer, one shorter, one the same. And beginning with the paid actors, one by one they would go around the room and claim that the shorter line was equal to that card with the first line. And by the time it got around to the eighth naive participant, 30% of them 
would deny their own eyes to fit right. in with the group. Right. I mean, they're looking at the lines. They can see the lines <laughs> are different, but they doubt their perception. They wonder, they must see something that I don't, and they would cave. And so this power of fitting in was studied again. It's called the spiral of silence, that people will self-censor their views if they think they are in the minority. Mm. And Chuck Colson talked about a experiment where they had a wine tasting, and all the couples were in on it except one. And they poured vinegar in the wine. And this couple said, this tastes terrible. So they write that on, the, on their little card. But one by one, the other couples would stand up and say, this wine was, had character. It had, was great. And when it got around to the naive couple, they scratched out what they wrote. And they said, yeah, it, it, it tasted good. <laughs> and then when somebody said all they did was pour vinegar in, the couple that had changed their views criticized the person for saying they poured vinegar in. Mm. And this is a phenomenon called false enforcement. Once somebody buys into the lie, they will help enforce that other people buy into the lie. Wow. And so this is a manipulating of this mass consensus. They even took it another level. They needed an authority figure to set this. Instead of having an actress wearing shoes, they would get a scientist. And so this was called the Stanley Milgram study done at Yale in 1963. And they advertised in the paper for teachers and learners to do an education experiment. And all the learners were in on it. But the teachers would be put in one room, but they'd walk past another room where they'd see all these wires and electrical stuff, and they'd see the learner being wired up with all this shock stuff. And then they would go into their room where they had a microphone and a panel of switches. And the teacher was to ask the learner, Questions And whenever the learner got it wrong, the teacher was supposed to flip a switch and give the learner a shock. Now, they weren't really being shocked, but the teacher didn't know that. And so as they get more questions wrong, the shock increased until the person in the other room is like screaming in pain. <laughs> and the person doing the shocking would feel bad and would turn to the person in the lab coat, the scientist, and they're like, are you sure I should continue? And the person says, it is science. You must continue. And then the person would scream louder. And he said, you want to go check on that person? Are you sure they're okay? And he says, this is science. You must continue. <laughs> Until finally, the person in the other room didn't make any noise. And he says, is he dead? Did I kill him? And he says, this is science. You must continue. And so they said, you know, were all the people in Germany evil when they participated no, they needed a science person saying, well, this is science. You must right. continue. They need like a Fauci character. And <laughs> they found out that 65% of people will violate their own conscience wow. and continue to administer lethal shocks if there is a person in a lab coat saying, this is science, it must wow. continue. But it's all this study. How do you manipulate an entire nation of people? And this is what we've been subject to. And that's why they want to control all the narrative with the Facebook and Twitter and so forth. But in closing on this particular thought, accepting or rejecting from a group is very powerful. Here's Peter. He was with Jesus for three years, looks Jesus in the eye, says, I will never deny you. A couple hours later, Peter is around a fire with a group of people. Mm -hmm. And a girl gets in his face and says, you are with Jesus. And you can just picture Peter looking at every single person around the fire, and they are all staring at him. And his response is, I never met the guy. Hmm. That's it, Peter. <laughs> wow. The power of being rejected from a group. Now, for his 
sake, after the resurrection, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he hasn't changed. And the Sanhedrin said, we gave you strict orders not to speak in his name. And Peter replied, we must obey God rather than men. It's only when you have a relationship with God can you not care about what men say about you. Amen. And there's Sam Coonrod, a Giants baseball pitcher. He's the only one not to kneel and protest to the flag. And afterwards they said, why? He goes, I'm a Christian. I just believe I can't kneel before anything besides God. Mm-hmm. Wow. And Orlando Magic for Jonathan Isaac, lone player to stand when they're all kneeling in protest. And afterwards they asked him why. He says, all lives are supported through the gospel. Everyone is made in the image of God, and we all share in his glory. It's only when you have a relationship with God can you have the backbone not to cave. And Amen. I believe God's letting the world get pushed to a decision-making point. Are we going to care what they post about you and like you and unfriend you and block you? Or, or are you going to care about, I'm going to stand up for truth, all I care about is standing before the Lord and him saying, well done, that good and faithful servant. Right. Faith in Christ and all that that involves, being filled with the Holy Spirit, believing the Bible, living according to its commands and dictates, and avoiding what it tells us to avoid is dangerous to this left-wing, radical, woke group And I think that's one of the reasons why we see more and more Christians coming under attack, because they know we have a higher standard, and whatever they do will not budge us. I've heard a lot about the disinformation board, and some people are saying, well, it's been defeated. No way. I think we've got to watch out. I think they're going to try to pull that again on us. I think it's too easy. The people are too gullible, too ready. I don't believe for one second that we won't be hearing about this disinformation board again. I think it's going to happen over and over. Yeah, remember when they told us that the intelligence gathering community, NSA, the Patriot Act, that they were only going to Mm. monitor foreigners. Right. And then it got to, well, anybody that has communication with a foreigner, we're going to monitor you too, until pretty soon it's monitoring everybody. And now they've taken it another step. They're calling it ESG, environmentally friendly, socially woke, and governs, <laughs> they're instituting it through banks, and they're having them monitor everything about you and collecting a score, and if you're not woke enough, they want to turn off your credit. Yeah. And the other thing I bring out in my book, Socialism, the Real History from Plato to the Present, is intentional crises, mm. and I go through history, I go through how Britain became the biggest empire on planet Earth, and the thought is, how did Britain get so big? Did they cause the people to surrender their freedoms? Let's look at how the British took over Bengal, India. Mm. They came in and opened a trading post that turned into a trading fort that turned into them giving guns to one kingdom and guns to another kingdom. And it ended up with this fighting where the British then had an excuse to come in and conquer both kingdoms. And they did this again and again until they took over all of India. They tried doing it to America during the Revolutionary War where the British came down from Canada, General Burgoyne meets with the Mohawk Indians, promises them money for scalps, and they go out and they terrorize. They did it again during the War of 1812. The British controlled Pensacola, Florida, just north of Fort Mims, Alabama. British promised them money for scalps. They captured Fort Mims and then proceeded to scalp all 500 of the ones they captured. Do we really think the British cared about these Indians? No, they were stirring it up because they wanted to conquer the whole thing. And so basically it got turned into politics where you go into a country 
You find the different groups. You pit them against each other so that you can cause fighting. Right. Well, you have a section in your book. I'm looking at it right now, page 242, where you speak about manipulating voters. And you say, as more people exercise the right to vote, more tactics emerge to manipulate voters, including, and then you have a whole list of things. You say, prepared breaking news stories to grab the headlines and disrupt the momentum of a winning candidate. And then you go on and say, race baiting, Black Panther, Black Lives Matter, Antifa-type violence or intimidation at polls, using community organizers, agitators, agent provocateurs, undercover FBI stings to incite riots, on and on and on. So what you have in your book here, we see in the headlines. And when, for example, the George Floyd riots and all that broke out from that, how it was manipulated and certainly was a terrible thing that was done by those police officers, but then those who are woke, those who hate America, those who hate Christian values, they picked it up and ran with it and were for a time very, very successful. Yeah, it's interesting. Even Abimelech is the illegitimate son of Gideon, Judges chapter 9. Israel's at peace. Gideon just defeated 100,000 Midianites, but he has an illegitimate son, Abimelech, who wants to seize power, and so he does critical race theory, identity race politics. He goes to the town of Shechem, and he says, Is it better for you that the sons of Gideon reign over you? Remember also that I am your bone and your flesh. Mm-hmm. And the men of Shechem said, we got to vote for him because he is our brother. And so then he takes money from the city treasury and hires protesters and rioters, Antifa, BLM type. And they gave him three score and ten pieces of silver out of the house of Balbarith, where mm-hmm. Abimelech hired vain and worthless persons which followed him. And they went into his father's house at Ophrah and slew his brethren. And the men of Shechem made Abimelech king. So here we have a peaceful nation. This guy goes, does this race politics, and then takes money, hires rioters, and in the confusion he seizes power and makes himself a king. That was a century before King Saul, but somebody threw a millstone over the wall and it killed Abimelech. But this idea was talked about with Machiavelli 500 years ago. A bunch of city-states in Italy, always fighting. Machiavelli thinks if one prince can control them all, it'll stop the infighting. So he writes a book called The Prince, where he advocates the ends justifies the means. The end of one prince controlling all of Italy is such a good end, because it'll stop the infighting, that any means necessary to get there is justified. Light teeth steel. So if a prince conquers a city, they'd hate him. But if the prince pays criminals to kill cows and burn barns and smash windows, the people will panic in fear. They'll want somebody to come along and restore order. The prince will come in and get rid of the very criminals he bribed to create the mess, nobody will know the better for it, and everyone will praise the prince as a hero. So it's good marketing. You create the need and fill it. You go around the back of the house, set it on fire, then you go around the front of the house, sell them a fire extinguisher. They'll pay anything for it and even thank you for being there. So it's called Machiavellianism, where you create or capitalize on a crisis to consolidate control. The complete two-day conversation with Bill Federer on the history of socialism is available on CD when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Bill Federer's eye-opening book, Socialism, The Real History from Plato to the Present. Order your copy today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or order today online 
swrc.com. Now we're going to ask Pastor Larry to return to the microphone to share his thoughts on an interesting question. Pastor Larry, can yoga classes at church be justified? A letter from a listener expressed her concern about her church holding yoga classes. She had spoken to her pastor about it, but he tried to assure her that there's nothing wrong with yoga classes in church. The pastor said, Yoga was developed as part of the Hindu religion, but its exercises are not necessarily Hindu. That was the pastor's answer. So my question is, can yoga classes in church be justified? I really don't believe so. Yoga is not a stretching exercise. If it were, why not say, we are sponsoring stretching exercises in church. Yoga is part of a religious practice associated with Hinduism. The word yoga, according to Yogapedia, comes from the Sanskrit root word yug, which literally means to yoke or to unite. With what are we being united? with a divine consciousness, according to Yogapedia. If yoga was developed as part of the Hindu religion, as the pastor said, doesn't that mean that yoga has some close connection with Hinduism? Why do Christians now need to resort to something that was developed as part of a pagan religion? Is the Bible so insufficient that we now have to resort to other religions to be happy and healthy? Why not simply have stretch exercises without making reference to yoga? Yoga classes in church endorse paganism and also demean biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is the pure stream of truth. Concerning Christ, Colossians 2 verse 3 says, In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ, we ought to be seeking him. Colossians 2, 9 and 10 says, For in him, that is in Christ, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him. Do we believe that, or do we need some help from Hinduism? Too many Christians today like to mix religions, a little of this religion and a little of that religion. God never told us to be creative in our worship. The Bible is the written word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. In other words, the Bible is sufficient. We don't need parts of another religion to help us with what is lacking in the Bible. Nothing is lacking in the Bible. Of course, in our politically correct world, we think there are a lot of ways of reaching God and worshiping God. But according to the Bible, there is only one way. In John 14, 6, we read that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. The Bible never speaks of uniting with the divine consciousness. Our union is with Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God. He became man so that he could shed his blood for the sins of the world. In yoga, people seek to become one with the natural world, because God is the natural world. That certainly is a very unbiblical idea. God is the creator of all things, but he is not all things. Be careful what you think about and what you meditate on. 
Psalm 119 verses 15 through 17 says, I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Christians must not empty their minds so that they can be united to the divine consciousness. Joshua 1 verse 8 tells us about meditation. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. The devil is a great trickster. He makes things that are bad seem so innocent. But if it separates you from Jesus and fills your mind with ideas that are foreign to the Bible, beware. It's important that we follow Scripture at all times. Bringing in something that is associated with false religion is not the purpose of the church. What is the church? 1 Timothy 3.15 says, The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. The person who asked this question also stated that her pastor referred to the Christmas tree and said that using a Christmas tree is pretty much like yoga. The Christmas tree has its origins in pagan Germanic rituals, but it is used in Christmas celebrations and given Christian content. I don't see a logical connection between Christians and Christmas trees and Christians and yoga. While some Christians have Christmas trees, Christians do not use terminology that links them to pagan Germanic practices. The word yoga does not have any Christian associations, whereas Christmas trees certainly do. The Christmas tree is associated with the birth of Jesus Christ. There are manger scenes and the Christmas carols that are sung at Christmas. That is not at all true with yoga. There is no Christian association whatsoever. The Christian message is unique and distinctive. Jesus Christ calls for total commitment to him. Having a yoga class at church is confusing to seekers and new converts. Yoga classes suggest that the Christian faith is not much different than Hinduism. That is simply not true. In a day of aggressive religious pluralism and a drive to form a one-world church that will unite the people of the world, Yoga classes at church do nothing but confuse people. I sincerely wish that pastors would stop making excuses to dilute the gospel and make it seem that all religions are the same. They are simply not the same. It's important for us to remember that we are living in the last days. One of the oft-repeated characteristics of the last days, religious deception. We must not be a part of the devil's grand scheme. So to answer the question, can yoga classes in church be justified, my answer is an emphatic no. You see, the world is watching. We have a tremendous responsibility. What we allow and what we don't allow is very important. There is much confusion in the world. Let's not add to it. Just think of our young people. Just think of those who are searching and who are seeking Let's make it easy for them. Let's proclaim the truth and let them see Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Is socialism the dream of an ideal society? Is it a wonderful utopia or a totalitarian nightmare? Is the form of government the problem or is the problem deeper? And what is the only real solution? 
find the answers to these questions in Bill Federer's eye-opening book, Socialism, The Real History from Plato to the Present. Order today when you call 1-800-652-1144 or order online, swrc.com. Lord willing, we'll be back here Monday with more listener favorites ready to once again bring clarity to the chaos. Don't miss a moment of Watchmen on the Wall. Download our SWRC mobile app or subscribe to our daily Watchmen on the Wall podcast. Watchmen on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.